In 2012, I had big plans for our garden. I don't know if we'd been gardening a year, maybe two. I'm sorry, this was our second or third season. I'd, I'd gotten the bug and I had big plans for our garden that year. And then summer hit. And you know the said the weather saying, if you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes, it'll change. That was not true in, that, in 2012. In 2012, the temperatures were high. There was, it was humid, but it didn't rain for a whole month. It was just hot and it was just scorching. And so all of my plans to water and to care and to make all this stuff happen just got burned up by this intense sun, especially in the month of July. Temperatures just stayed high no clouds, and the sun just destroyed my whole garden. And that summer, I ended up realizing that one of my favorite things about gardening is that it's not like technology and pressing a button where you just do this and do this and sprinkle a little bit of this on there and water it a little bit and everything's going to be good. You just might get a scorching sun that's going to come in and destroy everything. Or you might do this and everything's going to work out just right, and so you'll get proud, and then the next year everything gets burned up. But one of the things I realized is that I'm now always afraid of that. When is the sun going to come and then never leave and just destroy all my hard work? And I imagine some people here today might be in a place kind of like that. That was my closest experience to living in the desert. When the sun is hot and there's no clouds in the sky and there's no rain in the forecast and nothing I do is going to make these tomatoes and these cucumbers and these bell peppers grow. I imagine there's some people here today that feel like you're living in that kind of a desert where the sun is beating down, burning up everything that you've worked for and that everything that you wanted to happen, and you're going, is the sun ever going to go behind a cloud? Is the rain ever going to come? Maybe that's actually not you. Maybe you actually have a friend or a family member who's calling you saying, is, is it ever going to get easier? Is the, sun, is the sun ever going to go away, stop beating down and burning me like this? One of the nice things about going through books of the Bible, this is a section of the Bible we've been going through, we don't get to set the agenda. We might just decide, hey, let's focus on happy verses. But when we walk through the Psalms, the psalmist is like, actually a lot of us are living in deserts with the sun beating down and no waters coming through. What are we going to do? What does it mean to follow Jesus in those desert days? And that's the kind of passage that we're looking at today. Go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to Psalm chapter 126. Psalm 126. This series is called Songs for the Journey. This section of the Bible, these are psalms of ascent. This is, these are songs that the pilgrims would sing as they would travel through the mountains, travel through the deserts, travel through the wilderness to go and worship God in the temple. Some of them tell us who wrote it, kind of giving us an idea of what was happening then. Some of them say David wrote this, and so we can place it maybe at an episode in David's life. This one doesn't give us that. That's one of the things that I love about this kind of psalm is it doesn't say, hey, here's the exact situation where David was doing this and Israel was doing this. Instead, it's just a generic song that people wandering in what feels like captivity, when people who feel like they're wandering in the desert, this is a song for us. So maybe this is a song for me today, for you today, or maybe it's for somebody that we're going to talk to and say, God, when will it ever get easier? When is this, the heat ever going to subside? Psalm chapter 126 says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. 
The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would meet those of us that are living in the desert. Meet us with water that you could give us from your word. And I pray that those of us who have friends or family or neighbors who are wandering through these deserts, that you will give us words of encouragement to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 126 tells us when you're living in a desert, train yourself to look for God's work. When you feel like you're wandering through a wasteland, train yourself to look for God's hand. I want to show you in this in this short chapter, three ways to train yourself to look for God's work. Verses 1-3 through say, look backwards to find God's work. Look backwards to find God's work. Psalm 126 starts with, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Zion, you're unfamiliar, is just another word for Israel. It's recalling the history of Israel, but it, it's, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Really, the, if we want to look for God's hands, we look backwards and say, hey, all of those things in my life, all of those times that I've been delivered or that God's people have been delivered, I'm actually looking to see that it's the Lord at work. You see, it's so easy for us to look at a situation and to look at the past and begin to trace out, oh, I look, I did this right. I got this degree. I, I talked to this person. I paid this bill off. If we actually want to train ourselves to look for God's work, we actually have to look at history and begin to say, hey, actually it's the Lord's hands that have been at work in my history. Every trap that I've escaped, everything that I have gotten through is actually the Lord at work in those situations. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. One of the things that I love about the Old Testament, and I think that we can easily miss, is this aspect that the Bible is actually not advice. It's actually news. N.T. Wright comments that often we turn the gospel and we turn the Bible into a book of advice when actually it's a story of news that has ongoing results. And here, the nations said, look, the Lord has done great things for them has done this focus on there are effects of what God does in the life of His people. And it comes with joy. You see this, these lines, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Those are picked up when Mary sings a song after the angels tell her, you're going to have a baby and you're going to name Him Jesus. This is what, like Mary starts singing a song and she picks up this specific line and says, the Lord has done great things for me. Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. This is ultimately not just individualistic. We can easily go, okay, God, where have you delivered me in the past? But there's this corporate element to the people of God where they begin to go, history is actually us tracing God's hand together. And so I might not actually just always be looking at my own history to see that time when I was financially burdened and about to be ruined and the Lord carried me through, but we also begin to look at the people of God and say, look, God has actually carried these people, us together, through this. I can't help but think about the history of this church that's been a history of rising and falling and rising again to go, if we actually are living in a desert, we can look at God's hand in our history. It's 
not my history, it's our collective history, that God is actually the one who brought a church into existence and then in its rise and fall and rise again, we actually begin to trace God's hand. Not just what has God done for me, but what has God done for us? Maybe we look at each other and we look at somebody else in the church and look at their story and say, look at how God has carried them through financial ruin or a health issue. They, they thought that losing this job was going to be the worst thing for them, but God actually carried them through. And so we begin to together trace God's hands through history, not just doing it on our own. When we look at the Bible, that's actually what happens throughout the Bible. Remembrance is what God calls Israel to do constantly. Remember, when God delivered the people out of Egypt, they, they began to remember that and commemorate that in the Passover year after year, something that the Jewish people continue to do, saying, look at how God delivered His people out of slavery and out of bondage in Egypt. It's the thing that we see when God delivered the people of Israel through the Jordan River to give them the land, the promised land. They took 12 stones and set them up on one side of the river so that when children said, why do we have a pillar of 12 stones? They could say, because God stopped up the river allowing us to walk through on dry land to give us this place. That is actually the normal thing for the people of God is to say, God has delivered us. Let's look backwards, remembering what He's done in the past so that we can base our lives and and act today based on that. So that when we have hard decisions, we live like we feel like we're living in a wilderness or living in the desert, or we know somebody that feels like they're living with the heat of the summer constantly. We can say, look at what God has done because that's the kind of God that we have. And so we can live our lives now based on that. So how has God rescued you? How has God rescued you from blindness, rebellion against Him, covered in shame and burden, delivered you into life? Maybe there's a time in your life where you're like, I was burdened with so much shame and guilt. Sin reigned in my life and God's delivered me from that. So we can look back and say, oh, that's actually God at work in that. Where's God been at work among us? As He took a small group of people who were praying for a year on Wednesday or Thursday night saying, God, can you bring this church back to life in this community? We can say, look, that was actually God's hand at work bringing us together in this time and in this place. So we look backwards to see God's hand. The second way that we train ourselves to look for God's work is we call out for what only God can do. Verse 4 says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes. This, this, it's this idea that kind of recalls exile. It kind of calls, God, we are far from home. We have no hope. We have no plans. We have no way to get back. God, can you restore us from the captivity that we found ourselves in? So if we want to train ourselves to look for God's work, we have to begin to look at our situation and say, we can't get out of this, but God can do that. God, will you restore my fortunes? God, will you restore me from captivity? Like streams in the Negev. The Negev was the, this wilderness desert to the south of Jerusalem. And so this call is like, God, can you do something that only you can do? Water in the desert is precious and it doesn't just run. Streams don't just go. And then when there's a bad storm, it goes washing through like destruction. It's this call. God, can you bring streams into the desert? 
this situation that I found myself in and I can't get myself out of it. God, I, I can't heal myself. I can't pay this bill. I God, I can't change my job. God, I don't know what to do in this relationship. Can you restore me and this captivity in a way that only you can? Bringing streams into this desert that I find myself in. Is, why would we do that? It's because this is God's specialty. I, uh, when we go to a new place, I like to always ask for recommendations, especially a new restaurant. When my wife and I got married, we went on a honeymoon to this rural part of Arkansas, and I started. I asked for, hey, is there a good place to take her on a date? And they said, hey, yeah, go to, go to this place called DeVito's. And I said, well, what should we get at DeVito's? And they said, well, it's an Italian restaurant on a trout farm. You should get trout fettuccine. And I, so I asked, so then I asked the waitress at this restaurant, hey, what should we get? What's, you know, what's, what's the specialty here? And she said, get the trout fettuccine. That's our specialty. And so that night we got, I got trout fettuccine and we ordered pizza on our way home because you don't ever combine fish and fettuccine like that. Uh, I found out that if that's their specialty, that's not a place that I want to go back to, but it's not stopped me from going to places and saying, hey, what's the specialty? Because that's what I want. When I go to a new place, I don't want to just, oh, this is my normal thing. Let me get chicken fingers. Let me get a hamburger. Let me get a steak. Hey, what is the specialty here? Let me have that. And I'm, I'm telling you that because when we find ourselves in a desert, what, what we have to learn to do is to ask God to do the thing that he specializes in, which is causing streams to flow in deserts to restore people from captivity. It's so easy to say, God, can you do the things that I think are okay? But we have to learn to say, God, this is your specialty, and I'm not going to stop asking for you to restore me, for you to restore my kids, for you to restore my situation. God, can you cause streams to run in this desert that I find myself in? So for you, where's the captivity that you find yourself This ruin where only God can save from that because his specialty is to come and meet in that place. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a friend. It's somebody that's like, God, we're at our wit's end. We don't know what else to do. We've been trying and trying and trying and grabbing hold of all of these different things. But your specialty is to restore the fortunes of the ruined people. Will you do that? We have to train ourselves to look for God's work by calling on Him to do what only He can do or else we'll never be surprised when something happens. We've never based anything on Him so we never end up looking to see, oh, this was God's hand. And the third way that we train ourselves to see God's work is to look for God's hand while we work. Verses 5 and 6 say, Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. The third way that we train ourselves to see God at work is we look for His hand while we keep working. These verses talk about going out in tears to sow seed. These verses talk about those who go out weeping to plant these seeds. This picture of people weeping as they plant seeds in the desert. They have no hope that it's going to work out. They don't, they don't have all of the equipment. They don't have all of the knowledge. They don't know that the weather's going to turn out right. And yet they go out in tears saying, God's specialty 
is to make things grow where nobody else can make them grow. And so there's this call to still work, to still grieve, but to look in faith for what the harvest is going to be. And so we are called to look for God's hand while we work. It reminds me of the Dust Bowl in the 1930s, where across the Midwest, in particular Oklahoma, because of a terrible drought that lasted like eight or nine or ten years, because of bad farming practices that wiped out the grasses that would help soak up the water and hold on to that, the, this whole land just got swept away as the topsoil was blown off and people had nothing left to plant. People had to go back east after having gone to make their fortunes on their own farms. They had to go back in, east in tears and in ruin. These are, are people who had to look at the last bags of seed that they had and decide, are we going to eat this or are we going to plant it? We eat it, we'll survive a little bit longer, but then we won't have food later. But if we plant it, it might be ruined and this might be the end. And so the, the story is these people had to decide, are we going to plant these seeds in desperation or are we going to eat them? Because that's the only plan we have. 1939, they did. They finally got water. Those people that risked everything to plant it in the ground ended up seeing that seed bear fruit. It's this picture of this in, that we see in this passage. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, really not knowing how it's going to turn out, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And so, can we begin to train the muscles of our faith to, to look and see, this is God's specialty. As I work and as I grieve, I'm going to look to see, God, can you make something grow here? In the seed that, that, that just looks like ruin to me, I'm going to look at these things and I'm going to plant them in tears because I know that God's specialty is to give us something to reap the term that I often use now, is we need to begin to have enough of an imagination for what God might be up to here. It takes imagination to plant seeds in grief, believing that God is going to do something out there. As a marriage is crumbling and is being ruined, it takes imagination to say, God actually might be able to give birth to something more beautiful than I can ever imagine. I might still cry right now while I work on it, but I'm going to have the imagination of faith to say God can bring something beautiful from this. It takes imagination to stare at a health diagnosis and say, God, you actually can, can cause me to reap with joy at the end of this. It takes imagination for us to go to a friend in grief to encourage them and say, God might be up to something here because that's his specialty. We live in a world that says, look inside yourself for strength. Look inside yourself to care for yourself. Nobody else is going to care for you. But each of these call, tells us, no, actually look outside of yourself because God is going to be the one that provides in the desert. The world says, no, if anybody's going to care for you, it's going to be you. And the Bible says, if anybody's going to care for you, it's going to be God. Rest in Him. And so what work are you doing right now while you're looking for God's harvest? What place has God put you where He said, hey, will you plant with tears? Because I'm going to do something in this situation, in this relationship. What work are you called to do this week with the imagination of faith saying, God, where's your hand? I know that it's out there.
the psalm is it's an encouragement to train ourselves to look for God's work. But maybe you say, Joe, how can I know that God definitely intends good for me? This is nice and this is encouraging, but how can I know for sure that God's hand is actually at work for me for my good? Romans chapter 8 says, For what can separate us from the love of God? Neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says, for, for he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him give us everything? If God is willing to give us his very best, then he's also going to give us everything after that. And so we can know that this psalm is for us because the Bible tells us that nothing is ever going to separate us from God's love. So we have to train ourselves to look for God's work with the assurance that he is actually working for our good and is not going to change his mind. How can we know he will not change his mind? This passage, Romans 8, says he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. The Bible says that God made the world and he made it good. And he looked out on the humans of all people, of all things, and said they are very good. You will live as my little kings and I will be... King over you, and together we will shepherd and steward the world. And Adam and Eve, and you and I, and everybody after them said, no, we will live our own way. We will do our own things. God, we do not want your protection. We do not want your care. Our hands can do our own work. The Bible says that God will one day crush his enemies. He drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, but with this promise that one day he would send a rescuer. So the Bible tells us that Jesus lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and came back to life so that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ can know that God has not spared His Son in our place and that now nothing will separate us from the love of God. And so we can look back on our history and say, God was at work there. We can call out and say, God, give me your specialty. Give me your specialty and make streams flow in this desert. We can say with confidence, I am planting these seeds with tears, but God will make them grow with joy. We can train ourselves to look for God's work because we know for certain that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then we can begin to imagine again, what does it look like for me to live in my family with this imagination of faith that God is at work in this impossible person? Starting with me. He's he's at work in these other people that are so impossible and I don't know a way out. We can begin to say, God, I'm actually going to behave like you're at work here. I'm going to sow seed knowing that you're at work and I'm going to trust you to cause them to grow. We can then begin to live in the places that he's put us, the clubs and the wings of the school, in the teams that we have at work where we can begin to imagine, hey, God's up to something here. It sure looks impossible. We can live in a state and in a country where depending on our views, we might like or hate how things are going. But we can say, hey, we can actually plant seeds trusting that God's specialty is to cause beautiful things to grow here. It doesn't depend on them. It depends on me looking at God. So then we can join his mission. We can join God's mission going, God, you're up to something. We're going to plant seeds and we're going to ask for your specialty moment by moment because we're looking for your work 